I love to say to people on the team that great people aligned around a shared vision, committed to excellence, can achieve amazing results. And in my view, we had great talent in the building, but it was sub-optimized. We had people who had more to give, that were willing to give more, but just hadn't really been asked to give more. Associations Thrive, the podcast celebrating successful associations and their leaders. I'm your host, Joanna Pineda, CEO and Chief Troublemaker at Matrix Group International. Listen in as top association executives tell all, revealing the creative and innovative ways they're increasing membership, generating revenue, nurturing engagement, and reimagining their organizations. By the way, if you've launched a new initiative, created new member services, or updated your governance structure and are seeing great results, I want to hear your story and so do my listeners. I'd love to have you as a guest. Go to podcast.matrixgroup.net and apply to be on Associations Thrive. Now let's dive into this week's show. Today, I'm speaking with Todd Hopley, CEO of the American Association of Airport Executives, or AAAE. Todd, welcome to the show. Joanna, thanks for having me. I appreciate it. Hey, Todd, tell us about AAAE. Well, AAAE was founded in 1928, and don't worry, I'm not going to take you through decade by decade, but it's an individual member organization. We represent the people who run and manage airports all around the country, commercial service airports, general aviation airports around the United States. We've got about 10,000 members. Those 10,000 members are spread around almost 900 airports across the country. And we have a large portion of our membership that are corporate members and partners as well. So anybody that sells anything in the airport space is also likely to be a member of the organization. So, Todd, what positions at an airport are likely to be members? The airport CEO and the top management of the airport, the director of operations at the airport. You know, airports have all kinds of jobs. Airport directors are really like mayors of small cities. They've got a police force, a fire department. They've got uh, marketing departments. They've got all these different parts of the organization that they manage up and down the food chain in an airport environment, you've got members. One of the interesting things from an outgrowth of the pandemic is we created an enterprise membership where a couple of airports have made all of their employees members of AAAE. Oh. So places like Dallas-Fort Worth put 2,000 people on the AAAE membership roles during the pandemic, which was a great outcome for us. And why was that of benefit to them? Because it gave them greater exposure to all of our training, our products and services. One of the things that's a little bit different about the AAAE business model than maybe your trade association or general association is instead of relying on dues, 
as a primary source of revenue. We tend to use is about 2% of our revenue stream. The rest of it is products and services and solutions that we provide in the marketplace. We have training programs, on-site training. We have online training. We have an interactive employee training system that is patented. We have a revenue tracking system for app-based transportation for the Ubers and Lyfts of the world who come onto the airport property to pick people up and drop people off. We have certification programs. We run lots and lots of meetings and conferences. We've got 15 different lines of business. And one of the smallest pieces of our lines of business is actually membership dues. Todd, that is amazing. And before we get into how you're doing all this and thriving, let's talk about your journey. How did you get to become CEO of AAAE? It's a great story. Well, I came to AAAE in 1991 after having worked in a series of jobs in Washington, D.C. in government. And it was one of these places, you know, government jobs, you do those for a year and a half or two years, and then you go do another one. And I'd had four or five of those. They recruited me to come to AAA, and I thought, oh, that'd be an interesting thing to do for a couple of years. And a couple of years turned into 23 years as the lobbyist for the association. And then back in 2013, the longtime CEO of the organization announced that he would retire, and I was interested in competing for his job. And so there was a selection process that took place over the course of about a year. And during that time, even though I'd been at AAA for 23 years, I didn't want to take anything for granted and I didn't want to be perceived as taking anything for granted in the process. And so I actually wrote a book. So you're applying for the job. Yep. That process took a year. Yep. Or the search took a year. And as part of applying for the job, you wrote a book that you presented to the search committee, to the board? To the search committee. And that wasn't a requirement for the selection process. Gosh, I hope not. (laughs) That was just my way of trying to demonstrate a seriousness of purpose and that I had a vision for the organization's future when I thought my qualifications were and the skill set that I would bring to the job and the vision that I had for the organization. So I wrote a book called AAAE, The Road Ahead. And it was really written for seven people, the selection committee. Wow. And it had a, I would say, significant impact on their thinking. And it really just demonstrated to them that I had given this a lot of thought, that I was ready to make the transition from government affairs background to a wider lens running the entire association. Well, I got all kinds of questions here, but let's touch on government affairs. Sure. I speak with many CEOs who, before they became CEO, were in some type of lobbying or government affairs position. That seems to be a common path. Why do you think that is? I think that's probably a common path because in Washington, so much of the association raison d'etre, the reason that you exist is to interact and interface with government advocacy protecting the interests of an industry or the organization and its members. So you end up having relationships in Washington that are important. You typically, I think, have relationships with the members around the country. 
And so they have a familiarity with who you are. I think that helps as well. You have an understanding of the programs that matter both within the organization and government programs. So I think it's a pretty well-trod path from that end of the building to the other end of the building. I see. Okay. Plus, you're very good at presenting and briefing and speaking to different types of organizations. Those skills, whether it's me or the person in that kind of position, yeah, those skills help a lot. I think the biggest challenge for folks who are in that government affairs track to becoming a CEO, or at least in this organization, the biggest challenge would have been making sure people understood that you knew the financials, that you knew your way around a P&L, that you were not just an advocacy person, uh-huh. but you could run a business. That was very important here at AAAE, given our business model. The previous CEO had grown AAAE from a staff of five people and a budget of $600,000. Over a 30-year period of time, he grew that into a staff of 60 or 70 people and a $33 million budget. That's pretty big growth from yes. 600000 to $33 million. The audacious thing that I put in the book is I said, pick me and we're going to go from $33 million a year to $100 million a year by 2028, which is the centennial anniversary of the organization. Founded in 1928, 100 years, 2028, I thought... We'll go to 100 million on our 100th anniversary. And Todd, at the end of this interview, I'm going to ask where you are towards that goal, but okay, don't reveal it yet. <laughs> I won't. I will simply say that the selection committee, when they read that, they didn't physically do this, but they sort of telepathically, you know, what I felt was like a, a gentle tapping on my shoulders. Oh, aren't you cute? Ah. Isn't that adorable? You know, the previous guy was a big entrepreneurial dude and he couldn't get it anywhere near those kinds of numbers. Good for you for being that aspirational. But given that dues represent such a small portion of AAA's revenues, 100 million seems pretty high. But they hired you anyway and you capitalized on AAA's entrepreneurial spirit. And I think you said, you know, when we were prepping that that's something that existed at the organization, but you really amped it up. So let's talk about that. 2% of the revenue coming from dues, really, really small number. How does one cultivate an entrepreneurial spirit? Because that's amazing. Well, the advantage that I had is that it was already here. One big difference, I think, was actually pretty simple. And that was aligning people around a shared vision for the future. I love to say to people on the team that great people aligned around a shared vision, committed to excellence, can achieve amazing results. And in my view, we had great talent in the building, but it was sub-optimized. We had people who had more to give, that were willing to give more, but just hadn't really been asked to give more. And one of the things that I did that I would encourage folks to do as they begin their own CEO journeys, after I was selected as the CEO, but before I technically started, I went around and met with every single member of the team 
So that was at the time, 60 some odd interviews. Individually? Individually. I gave them five questions in advance and I told them that I was there to listen and take some notes. And whether it was the receptionist or the person who ran the mailroom or the head finance person or any of the senior VPs, same set of questions. I listened, took notes, and it gave people an opportunity to tell me what more we could be doing, what they thought was going right, what they thought was going wrong, where they thought there were blockers. You synthesize all of that information and you can identify some early wins, some fairly easy things to fix that are frustrating people. And then you start building this sense of momentum, forward momentum about, hey, the cadence is different. Mm. People are listening more. Management is listening and trying to deliver on promises. And in my view, one of the things that an association CEO, any CEO, really wants to be good at is extraction. What do I mean by that? Well, You figure at a base level, everybody is capable of doing a job. Right. And they know the basic blocking and tackling of doing their job. The trick, the magic, the secret sauce is extracting from those people their discretionary effort to go above and beyond. Right. Yes. And if you can get people aligned around this shared vision, if you can get people who will willingly voluntarily, enthusiastically give you that extra dimension, that extra effort, that extra sense of urgency, commitment to excellence. Yes, yes. The thing that makes you go, wow, that's amazing. If you can do that, then you can perform miracles. And, you know, one of the things that you and I and others have learned is you can't do these things in a vacuum. You can't do these things alone you need a great team of people. And if you can get everybody aligned around this shared vision, then you have this force multiplier, whether you have five people on your team or 50 people on your team or 500 people on your team, if everybody's rowing the boat in the same direction and committed to excellence, the sky's the limit. Well, and Todd, by interviewing everybody individually, you basically said you're important I want to hear what you have to say. And you didn't care just about the senior staff. So you talked to the guy in the mailroom and you talked to the person at the front desk. Right. And you gave everyone airtime. Right. And people are hurt. And that had to have created buzz. Well, nothing kills spirit more than anonymity. (gasps) And so if you know Everybody on the team, if you know their kids and their kids' names and what they care about and all that. Yeah, yeah. I'm one of these walk around managers, right? I go and talk to people and walk around their offices and try not to disturb them. But, you know, it makes a difference, I think, to people that the CEO knows who you are, knows what you do, knows the contributions that you make to the organization. And we celebrate those in our monthly staff meetings. I think that has a really beneficial impact on the organization. Yeah, I totally agree with you. Hey, let's turn to these things that are helping you thrive 
you've got a really broad suite of solutions. The website calls them airport solutions, and those are the solutions that are generating the 98% of your revenue. Right. And Todd, you say that you want benefits that are sticky, as in these are services that your members need, so they will buy it, subscribe to it, and never leave you. So maybe talk to us about the biggest and most popular of these services, because you've got a bunch. Well, we run a huge portfolio of meetings and conferences every year. We run about 40 to 50 meetings or workshops a year. There's only 52 weeks in a year. We've got basically something every week. Wow. Whether that's a big annual conference or specialty workshops or everything in between, we run a lot of meetings. We also do a lot of training pre-pandemic. We had a, and still do have, an interactive employee training system, a computer-based training system that we have installed in lots of airports around the country. We have on-site training where we go to airports to do training. During the pandemic, we had to pivot pretty quickly to virtual online training, Yep, yep. which we still do, but the on-site in-person training is much more popular. We have this app-based transportation tracking system that I mentioned before, dealing with Uber and Lyft. And your listeners will remember the days early of Uber and Lyft and going to airports and kind of Wild West and trying to figure out curbside where they could drop you off and not. Right, right. The rideshare companies had a tense relationship with the airports. We helped get in the middle and solve that problem. Airports no longer have to hire extra enforcement people or hire extra finance people. We can take care of all of that. We have a tracking system. We know when an Uber or a Lyft arrives at the airport, drops somebody off, picks somebody up, leaves airport property. Well, and Todd, let me provide context for this, because when I take a taxi from National Airport, from DCA, there's an airport tax, right? There's like an extra whatever dollar, 250 or something, or when I fly into IAD. But what was happening was the rideshare companies, because they were just regular cars, the airports couldn't collect that tax. So that's what was causing the tense relationship. And so you put in place... We put in place a system where the airport did not have to rely on the rideshare company's self-reporting activity levels. We could... With granular detail, tell them exactly how many people came through, at what times, all of that. So airports were able to generate a lot of money. And what happens, the way this works, is Uber and Lyft pay us the money that they owe the airports. We do all the reconciliation and audit and secret sauce stuff to make sure to keep them honest and to make sure everything's on the up and up and accurate. And then we remit almost all of that to the airport. Ah. We hold on to a small piece of each transaction. And that is a low margin, high volume business for us. So we have other things where we really excel, in my opinion, is we are in the middle of bringing together people who want to sell into the airport space that have solutions of their own and airports that are always looking for the solution to these operational problems that they have. And we're in the middle with some expertise and experience 
And we can help bring people together on that. What is interesting about our business model is sometimes we're in competition with for-profit companies in providing these services at the airport. The difference being a for-profit company, understandably, has a profit motive, right? whereas we as a nonprofit have a service motive. We don't have shareholders to reward. We have members to reward. Now, airports aren't going to buy our services if they are subpar or mediocre. They're only going to buy our services and solutions if they're best in class. But if we can provide best in class services and solutions, airports absolutely will go with us on that because they know there's this virtuous cycle where the reward is not going to a shareholder and not that there's anything wrong with that, but the reward stays in this closed loop in the aviation ecosystem and it goes back to the members. So we use the profits that we generate in these business operations to provide professional development grants for people to come to meetings. We have a very robust foundation and scholarships. I just yesterday stroked $482,000 worth of scholarship checks for the year to 138 individuals. Wow. And what's great about that is in Washington, you know, we spend so much time fighting over words or policy issues that never seem to go away. You sometimes wonder if you're making a difference, how much impact you're making. With this foundation and with these scholarships, we know that we're changing the arc of someone's life along the way. Todd, this is just fascinating. So most associations, you know, they get a high percentage of their revenue from dues, right? And then they have education, they have conferences, they have publications, they have a trade show, but they've left the services that the members use to run their jobs to the industry partners, the suppliers, the vendors. You've completely flipped this model. You sometimes provide those services and are in competition with those companies, or you partner with them, or you white label them. Correct. All of the above. (laughs) Right. Interesting. So are you constantly looking for partnerships and then like you're literally in a joint venture or some kind of a licensing agreement with a for-profit company to provide services to members? Yes. In fact, we created in the aftermath of 9-11, we created a clearinghouse on background checks. Okay. Use that as an example. Suddenly, we had to do background checks on a million aviation workers. And the federal government was very slow at doing that. We stepped in, created a clearinghouse, and have been able to have that in place for several decades. A couple decades ago now, or almost two decades ago, we went out and found a partner to help us with that. And we sold a majority stake in that business, but maintained that business relationship as a minority 51-49% owner. That entity just decided last fall that they were going to exit. We found a new partner. And then in addition to that, we ended up deciding to sell a small portion of our remaining stake to this for-profit organization. So earlier this month, we realized a $4 million benefit to the organization. And we took that $4 million from that share sale 
and we put 2 million of that in our reserves and we allocated the other 2 million to our foundation so that we can continue to expand the impact that the association can have with existing members and future members. So Todd, this is the entrepreneurial spirit that you talked about. You're not developing the tech, you're looking for tech, you're looking for solutions, and you're partnering with the company. So they're, in many ways, kind of providing the risk on the development side, and what you're providing is probably insight and access to the members. Insight, access, favored nation status. Unbelievable stuff, Todd. So before I ask you how the organization is doing, a big part of what you do is advocacy. Right. And during the pandemic, travel like ground to a halt. I mean, I remember I flew to California in August of 2020 to spend time with my mom, and I paid $99 round trip, and I think there were six people on the flight. I mean, how do you even like pilot a plane to California, each of us paying $100 and six of us? Right. It was pretty grim. By April of 2020, a month into the shutdown, travel had ground to a virtual halt, as you indicate. Aviation activity was down 94%. Oh, my God. And we managed to get Congress to give airports and airlines significant relief that kept the planes in the air and kept the airports open. And that was a great temporary Band-Aid. The advocacy team followed up on that about a year later with a major infrastructure investment legislation that put another $20 billion in the airport's pockets. So the advocacy team has had a good couple of years. They've really delivered big time for the members. And during the pandemic, what started off with daily phone calls with the airport directors and our advocacy team has morphed into these weekly calls but the engagement has remained. We still get 150, 200 people on these calls each week. And it's a great way for our advocacy team to brief the members on what's going on in calls to action when there's legislative activity. And so the advocacy, the pandemic actually showed the members the importance or reminded the members with insignificant relief. Right of the importance of advocacy in Washington. So that's been a big part of our success story over the past few years. Todd, what are the big issues today for airports? Security is always a big issue dealing with our friends at TSA on a whole host of issues. There's lots of regulatory challenges dealing with environmental issues and forever chemicals, otherwise known as PFAS. Oh. That's a big issue at airports and around communities in the country. There's the funding issues, and we're in the middle right now of going through a FAA reauthorization bill. Every couple of years, every three years, five years, the programs of the Federal Aviation Administration need to be reauthorized. That current authorization expires this fall, so Congress is racing to the extent Congress races at anything. Congress is racing to try and get this done before October 1st. So there's a lot of issues going on right now on the advocacy front. Wait, hang on. So if they don't reauthorize the FAA, what happens? Well, if they don't reauthorize the FAA, funding for a lot of the infrastructure investment programs grinds to a halt. Right. 
If there's a government shutdown, which is also another possibility later this fall, there have been times in the past when that has impacted air traffic control operations and has had a big disruptive impact on air travel. We certainly hope it doesn't come to that this fall. Hey, speaking of air travel, is air travel back? It's back with a vengeance domestically. I think everybody that has traveled over the past year will tell you that, you know, full flights. Yes. There aren't the margins of error any longer, a slack in the system. It's back. International travel is coming back pretty significantly mm. in lots and lots of places. If you go to Europe, for example, it's, you know, overrun with Americans. There's still some places in Asia, China, places like that where travel is not back as much. But airlines are systematically adding back international routes. That's coming back. The nature of business travel has changed a little bit. It's coming back, but now it's not quite as strong as it used to be. And it's in a little different composition as people have these hybrid work, personal trips that they're doing. But generally speaking, we just had the Friday before the 4th of July was the single highest day in history for TSA of people going through the security system, almost 2.9 million people. So we've surpassed 2019 pre-pandemic levels. Wow. Well, I'm flying a lot these days and the airports are crowded and climate and weather are fouling things up. The summer times are always rough for travel because it adds that predictable unpredictability. Mother Nature has its way. Right. And thunderstorms in Atlanta, you know, ripple through the entire system and cause delays and cancellations or, you know, bad weather in the Northeast. You know, as we record this program, Phoenix has had its 19th straight day of 110 degrees or more. If it gets much hotter there, you have to limit the number of takeoffs and landings that they have. Wow. Weather everywhere in the summer creates problems. Todd, AAAE has had a tumultuous couple of years. Travel is back with a vengeance. You've got an entrepreneurial team with an entrepreneurial spirit and a great leader at the helm. How's your year looking? Oh, thanks for asking. We're actually on track to have the best year we've ever had. Our top line revenue in 2019, which previously was the best year we'd ever had, was $123 million. Oh my God. So, you know, I made that bold, declarative, pick me and we're going to go from 33 to 100 million by 2028. We actually went from 33 to 100 million in five years. We did that by 2018. And then 2019 was 123 million. 2020 was a huge drop off for us. We went to 52 million. Wow. And believe me when I tell you, you can feel a $75 million loss in revenue. Yeah. That's a whole nother podcast. Yeah. But we've grown back pretty consistently in 2021, 2022. And this year we will surpass our previous high. So 130, 130, 133 million, something in that trading range is where we think we'll land for the year. Todd, what an amazing journey you've had. What an amazing organization you've built up. And Mao, it sounds like you're really taking advantage of just some amazing, I guess, trends that we're seeing with travel and with great leadership and a great team. You're able to achieve anything, it sounds like. 
Well, I don't know about achieving anything, but if you have the right people, the right processes, and the right technology, if you can get people aligned around that shared vision, and if you can keep, attract, and retain the kind of people who are committed to excellence, anything's possible. Thanks for listening to Associations Thrive. We're so glad to have you here. You know, my personal mission and the mission of my company, Matrix Group International, is to help associations and nonprofits increase membership, generate revenue, and thrive in the digital space. I want to hear stories of how your organization is thriving in today's challenging landscape. Please apply to be on my show by going to podcast.matrixgroup.net. By the way, do you need help with a digital initiative? Maybe it's a website redesign, a new membership database, or a hybrid meeting that you're planning. I'd love to connect with you. Please visit the Matrix Group website at matrixgroup.net. Thanks again for listening to this week's episode of Associations Thrive. Don't forget to subscribe to the show, leave a five-star rating, post a comment, and share it with your colleagues and friends. Bye! Bye!